Good morning. It is an honor and a privilege to open the Word of God, but as we were singing, it's always a joyous occasion to listen to saints as we worship our Lord. As we were singing the song, It Is Well With My Soul, I just closed my eyes and imagined that we were in the throne room worshiping God together. It's a glorious thing. I appreciate coming together as the body, worshiping our God. With that, let us come into prayer as we enter into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we come desiring to worship You, our God, our Creator. Father, I ask that You calm our minds and hearts today as we engage with Your Word. Father, I ask that You give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive Your Word. So Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We live in a world that is concerned with followers. So often we obsess with how many followers we have on whatever social platform you're using. We desire to have followers or be a follower of someone or something. It's interesting, this past week I came across a short clip from Dr. Phil's show. He was interviewing a young man who was trying to be an influencer, to be famous through doing certain stunts that would go viral. This was the conversation that took place between Dr. Phil and this young man. Dr. Phil asked this man, what does your family think about the stunts you're doing to try to go viral? His response, I mean, I don't talk to my family because they are very irrelevant and none of them have followers. If they got followers and are rich, then I probably would talk to them again. Dr. Phil responds, did you just say you don't talk to your family because they don't have followers? His response, if they had followers, they'd be here right now. Dr. Phil continues to respond, I mean, you're talking about your mother, right? This young man, my mom has more followers than my sister, but can anyone tell me what I would talk to my mom about? She's not making me relevant, you know. I have a career, I'm famous. That's what happens when you get famous, you cut people off. Dr. Phil responds, saying, I must be out of sync because I didn't even know you until today. (laughs) We are obsessed with followers or following people. And while I hope that this isn't the norm, we just cut people off if they don't have a certain amount of followers. But this is a somewhat reality we live in. And so the question that we're going to propose for the next two weeks is, who are you following? Maybe more specifically, are you following Jesus Christ? If I could get just a little more specific, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? In our text, we're going to be walking through the marks of a disciple. We all follow people in this world, and maybe some of us will order merchandise 
with somebody's logo on our shirt that represents who we're following, and it marks us. It declares to the world that we follow so-and-so, or we follow this brand or that person. And in the same way, when we follow Christ, our lives should be marked by being disciples of Christ. And so we are going to walk through what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to have the mark of a disciple of Christ. And so we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 10. But before we do, we must define what I mean by a disciple. A disciple is, can be a buzzword in Christianity. It can be used. It's something that we want to be. We want to be disciples who make disciples. And I love that even here at Meadows, it's becoming part of our DNA We're growing in our understanding what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. But all all too often, I have conversations with people. And they like the idea of being a disciple, but they have no idea what it means to be a disciple. And so I pray that throughout today and next week, that we will have a clear understanding what it means to be a disciple. That we will be living as followers and disciples of Christ and bearing the marks what it means to be a disciple. So I define discipleship or a disciple this way. A disciple is a redeemed image bearer of Christ, devoted to loving, following, and becoming like him no matter the cost. Repeat that one more time. A disciple is a redeemed image bearer of Christ, devoted to loving, following, and becoming like him no matter the The cost. God said we were created in the image of God. Created male and female in the image of God. What does that mean? It means that images are created to image. If you create an image or a sculpture of someone, you display something about that person. You put it in the town square so that everyone can see. You want people when they see the statue or this image, to see that this person is worth admiring. This person, whether it's because he was noble or strong or wise or courageous or something, is worth looking at. Now, what would it mean if you created seven billion statues and placed them all throughout the world? It would mean that you want people to notice you. God created us in His image. He wants us to reflect Him. It's as if we are a mirror, and suppose the mirror is at a 45 degree angle pointing upward to heaven so that we can show the world His glory, so we can show the world who God is because we were created in His image. And yet with the fall, we turn that mirror around, and so the back of the mirror is now pointing up to heaven while... The reflected part is pointing toward the ground, and the only thing that we actually see is no mirror of God himself, but just a shadow of the back of the mirror. And through the fall, we've been persuaded that our shadow is more beautiful than reflecting God himself, our creator. And we've fallen in love more with ourselves than with our creator. But yet, being a redeemed image bearer, Through the power of the gospel, we no longer see and fall in love with ourselves in the shadow that we cast, but we 
are now reflecting a God himself back to creation. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to be a redeemed image bearer who follows, loves, and desires to become like Jesus no matter the cost. In the Sunday school for junior high and senior high, we've been going through a catechism. What a catechism is is a short question and answer to help formulate theology. And a few weeks ago, we had this question, how and why did God create us? The answer, he created us male and female in his image to glorify him. As disciples of Christ, as we're looking at the marks of a disciple, we desire to reflect him because we are made in his image and to show his glory to the rest of creation. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so now, with that background, let us now enter into our text this morning in Matthew chapter 10. And as we look at the marks of the disciple, the marks points to our salvation. They don't determine our salvation because salvation comes through faith and faith alone. But these marks are an outflow of what we believe in our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we'll go through four marks of a disciple today. First, a disciple... Sorry. A disciple is an imitator of God, not man. Our second thing that we'll see is a disciple proclaims God's message, not man's. Third, God, or a disciple fears God, not man. And finally, a disciple is valued by God, not man. So let us start in Matthew chapter 10, starting in 20, verse 24. If you haven't joined there already, please do so. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they are called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So first off, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, and not just his 12 disciples, but I believe he's also talking to us today. And he describes two illustrations, a disciple and who is a student and also a slave. And he says they are not above, a disciple's not above his teacher, a slave is not above his master, he's emphasizing the point that both a disciple and a slave submit to the one in authority. A student submits to the teacher. A slave submits to the master. And so if we are going to be a disciple of Christ and bear a mark of a disciple, we are to submit to the authority of God. Now, I've had conversations, sadly, with some that say, yeah, God can have this portion of my life. He can have Sunday mornings and maybe once a week, but the rest of the time it's for myself. Or I give this portion of my life to God, but my work life is for me. And we try to section off our life and we try to play this game with God. If I do enough, if I attend church enough, or I serve here enough, then I'm in the good graces of God. 
compared to my neighbor who hasn't even stepped into a church for 25 years. And we try to play this game with God. But Christianity and being a disciple is not a game. It's who we are. Our whole lives must be submitted to God. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. This is a willing act of accepting God's authority and understanding that we are under His authority and fully submitting all of our lives unto Him. And this act of submission is obedience. I can't help but think of Florence Nightingale who wrote in her diary, I am 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began His mission. Now, no more childish things, no more vain things. Years after writing this, someone asked her, what is your secret to accomplishing so much for the Lord? She responded this way, I have kept nothing back from God. Oh, I pray that would be us as we come to our last days if someone asks how did you accomplish so much for the lord may we respond i have held nothing back from god do we allow god to take full control of our lives do we willing submit every part every aspect of our lives to our god and we do so because we know who he is We do so because we know that He is our Creator, that He created us in His image. We do so because we know that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We do so because He is the Son of God who has come to redeem us. And so are we fully submitting to our God? But fully submitting to our God does not mean we just become robots but we are then able to become imitators of God. For a disciple is an imitator of God, not man. If we jump back into our verse today, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. This is our one desire, our pursuit, our calling is to be like Christ, to desire to imitate Christ. 1 John 2, 6 says, The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. This is striving to be imitators of Christ. And how do we walk as Jesus walked? He walked in complete obedience to the Father. And so we too, again, must be submitted to the Father and walk in obedience to what He has commanded. And this is why in Matthew 28, when He gives the Great Commission, He says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. As we are grow in our imitation of Christ, it is tied to our obedience to Christ. And this is why discipleship is so important. Why we cannot do this on our own. But we do D-groups here. We call them D-groups or discipleship groups where men are gathering with men and women are gathering with women, walking through the Word of God, studying Scripture, unpacking the commands of God and desiring to become more like Him. And in those groups, it's not 
one person condoning someone else for not living up to the standards, but it's men and women together coming in the trenches alongside one another, carrying each other as we all strive to become like Christ. And it's a glorious thing. I've benefited from many brothers and sisters, mostly brothers who have helped me carry me when I've fallen into sin or I've been wounded by the enemy. They have come alongside me and carried me. And I've been, had the privilege of doing the same. And it's a glorious thing seeing the body of Christ working together, pushing each other, striving to be imitators of our God. So this wasn't something that we are to do on our own. This is something we are called to do together. And so if you have not joined a D group or are not part of a Bible study or a group of people that are committed to striving to be more like Christ, I encourage you to come join a group to check out what this is all about as we strive to be imitators of God. So the question for us today, are we imitating, are we, are, are we imitators of Christ or are we imitators of man? Does the world see Christ in us? Does the world see the love of Christ in us or the mercy or the grace? Do we live in such a way that we attract unbelievers to know more about God? Or while at the same time, We're unattractive to those who reject God. Finally, in this last point, in verse 25, Jesus concludes with this, If they called the head of the house of Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? If we are going to be imitators of God, and they called Christ the head, Beelzebul, this Deity, a name essentially that says the Lord of the flies, how much more are they going to persecute and hate us? Once again, a teacher or a student is not above his teacher, a slave is not above his master. Last week, Mark Barnes preached on the previous section and gave warning that they are going to hand us over to local courts and flog us in the synagogues. That they will be brought before governors and kings. That brothers will betray brother to death and fathers his children. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so we come with expectation that Those who reject God and the gospel are going to hate this message. But at the same time, we remember a few weeks ago that the harvest is plentiful. And so we keep on pursuing, we keep on imitating Christ, His love, His mercy, His grace upon this world. Because God is still doing a work, God is still calling people to Himself. And He calls us to Imitate that. And so the question for us as disciples of Christ, do we bear the mark of imitating Christ? Or do we seem more like we fit into the world?
So a disciple imitates God, not man. Our second point today, a disciple fears God, not man. I'm going to read starting verse 26 all the way through 31. And then as I do, notice how many times Jesus says, do not be afraid. And starting in verse 26, therefore, don't be afraid of them. Since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Three times, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Verse 26, don't be afraid. This is an imperative. It's a command. Verse 28, don't fear those who kill the body. Once again, it's a command. Finally, in verse 31, so don't be afraid. Once again, it's another imperative. Despite all the warnings that Jesus has said of everything that's going to take place, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God, don't be afraid. And so for us, the question is, do we fear God or do we fear man? And fortunately, I've seen Many people, even within evangelical circles, become afraid of this world. That fear has them compromise biblical truths and biblical convictions. Where they're afraid of being persecuted to whatever degree. They're afraid of conflict. And there is some very soft evangelicals. But I pray for this congregation. I pray for many that we would not be compromised in biblical truth. I pray that we would stand firm on what God says, knowing that God is truth and He speaks truth and what He says in His Word is true, no matter what the world says. I pray for our junior high and high school students who are living and going and attending schools in ways that we cannot even imagine the pressures that they're dealing with. But God is doing a work in the public high schools, in the junior high and middle schools. If you don't know my wife, Heather, she works for a ministry called Decision Point. This ministry takes high school and junior high students, disciples them, so that they can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in their public schools. While there's many stories of students standing boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel, I just want to share one student or one school that's it's happening right now. This school year, there's a school in Chicago called Shy Arts. At this school, 75% of the student population identify as LGBTQ. But also at this school, 
there's three Christian students. And the principal this year is also a Christian. And so for the first time, there's a Christian club on this campus. And in less than a month, these three Christian students are putting on four outreaches, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ before their peers. This is the work that's happening in our public high schools. There are many more students that are standing firm on biblical truth, that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in their public high schools and middle schools. So if you do remember, pray for these three students as they boldly proclaim the gospel. But these students are warriors, and there's many warriors that God is raising up in this dark world to stand firm on the truths of Scripture, who do not waver based on what culture says, but know what they believe in the Word of God. Because these students do not fear man, but they fear God. And so if we can just take some encouragement from these high school students and the boldness Oh, may we also take encouragement and be bold in what we believe and stand on. So we see three times Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them who persecutes you. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. But once in verse 28, he says, Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, we were called not to fear man, but we were called to fear God. This fearing God is more is not just something to be terrified of, but it's a fear of awe. It's a fear of amazement, of who our God is. It's a fear of reverence, knowing that He is our God. He is the creator of all. And so we are called not to fear man, but to fear God. And so a mark of a disciple is one who fears God and not man. And so we ask to ask ourselves, examine our lives. Do we fear God or do we fear man? If we keep going... A disciple imitates God, not man. A disciple fears God and not man. Thirdly, a disciple proclaims God's message and not man's. Verse 27 says this, What I tell you in dark, speak in light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the rooftops. First thing that this reveals is that as a disciple of Christ, we are messengers We are to proclaim the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are proclaim the gospel. Now you may ask, what is the gospel? How do I proclaim the gospel? This is the gospel. God created male and female, and He created everything, and everything was good. Yet, humanity decided to sin and disobey God causing a separation between God and His creation. 
And so then the question at hand is, how can a just God justify sinners? How can God rightly restore relationship back with humanity? Well, there has to be a payment for the sin that we committed. And the only one that can pay that sin, that payment, is Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, who lived a perfect, obedient life, a sinless life, and was willing to die upon a cross for us. And it was on the cross, He took the full wrath of God, He took our payment that we deserve, and He took it upon Himself. And this Jesus, the Son of God, just didn't stay dead, but He rose again three days later, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father where He intercedes for us. And so Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the power of the gospel. This is the message that we are to proclaim. And like Paul, may we not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation. God is the Creator. We have fallen. He sent Jesus to redeem So that we have a future hope with Him forever and ever. That is the message that saves. And for some, it may be standing up here with a microphone proclaiming this to the masses. Maybe it's standing on a street corner proclaiming the good news of the gospel. But for many, it's going to be where God has placed you. It's going to be amongst people that God has brought into your life. For many of you, you have people that you know that you regularly come in contact that I will never meet. And I have people in my life that many of you will never meet. But God is using His body to proclaim His message. The message of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus. And if you don't know where to start, if you don't know how to articulate the gospel... Invite people to start reading the Word of God with you. Having them explore who this Jesus is. As we go through Matthew, invite them, hey, you want to just read the story of Matthew with me? The Gospel of Matthew and look at who this Jesus is? Because the Word of God is powerful. Can I just share one story? I have a friend who is a missionary in Russia. And Fortunately, in the last couple months, they have evacuated due to the war. But in just a few months ago, he wrote this in, a, in his newsletter. He said, four years ago, I met a young man in Russia named Sergi. He was a graduate student, and despite some interest in the Bible, he said he did not have enough faith to believe in God. I met with him often to study the Bible with him as a way of practicing English. We prayed for him often, and slowly his heart began to change. He started attending church, reading the Bible, and finally realized that he needed Jesus in his life, and he became a Christian. Fast forward to a few months ago, my friend talked with him on the phone. He was attending a Christian seminary while working full-time. He has been on multiple mission trips within Russia, 
with his church, and he has now started a bi-monthly Bible study with friends and neighbors in his apartment. He is witnessing every week to his family, and his mom, who for years refused to even talk about God, is reading the Bible every day and has begun to pray with Sergi in the name of Jesus. Praise God for the way in which he is continuing to work in Russia in the ways that he is allowing us to disciple people even from a distance. That's the power of a gospel. To take a man who said, I don't have enough faith to believe in God, to be broken down by the message of this book, and now has converted and changed his life and is now a disciple who is making disciples in Russia. That's the power of the Word of God. And this is what we are to proclaim. And this is against what the world proclaims. The gospel proclaims that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The world says you are good. Keep doing what you desire to do to make you feel happy. And so the question that we must ask as a disciple of Christ is what message are we proclaiming? Are we proclaiming God's message or are we proclaiming the world's message? I hope and I pray that we are a church that proclaims God's message. For God's message brings life and the world's message brings death. And so what message are you proclaiming? A message that brings life or a message that brings death? Finally, our last point, a disciple imitates God, not man. A disciple fears God, not man. A disciple proclaims God's message, not man's. And finally, a disciple is priceless to God, not man. If you would read with me one more time in verse 31. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We just jump up. Aren't, Jesus said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Sparrows are pretty worthless. One sparrow is less than one cent. And yet God knows when a sparrow falls. It, God knows when a sparrow is hungry. God knows when the sparrow is flying away from danger. How much more important are you? God knows the details of our head. He knows the numbers of our hairs on our heads. For some, it may be more than others. But He knows you. He created you. He knows all the details about you, and He values you. You are dearly loved by God the Father. And as we have read earlier, we know that the world despises those who are in Christ. The world rejects those who are in Christ. Jesus says the world will hate those because of His name. But yeah, He says, my Father loves you. He sees you as valuable. You are priceless. 
So I just want to remind us of Ephesians chapter 1. If you haven't read Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just going to read it out loud and show you how valuable you are in the sight of God. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven and on earth. For He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasures of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He has lavished on us in the Beloved One. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, that He richly poured out on us all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasures that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have also received an inheritance because we are, were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will so that we who already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Do you know that you are valued in God's sight? You are priceless to God. God loves you. A disciple is priceless to God, but not the world. And so we are going to face many tribulations and persecutions in many different forms. But as we go throughout (coughs) this world, May we live in such a way that we <coughs> sorry, bear the marks of being a disciple of Christ. <coughs> may, we li- may the world see that we are imitators of God, not man. May the world know that we fear God, not man. May the world see that we proclaim God's message and not man's. May the world see that we are valued by God, not man. Maybe we be a light into this dark world. So the questions that we should reflect on as we examine our lives are these. Number one, am I imitating God or man? Number two, do I fear God or man? Number three, am I proclaiming God's message or man's? Number four, do I find my worth in God's eyes or man's? Let me say that one more time. Am I imitating God or man? Do I fear God or man? Am I proclaiming God's message or man's? Do I find my worth in God's eyes or man's? May we take time this week, examine our lives. Do we bear the mark of a disciple? Do we fully live out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words.
We thank you that you have given us an example of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Father, by the power of your Spirit, may we faithfully live this out. For we cannot do it on our own, but you have given us resources and tools through your Spirit, through the power of your Word, and through one another. So may together we strive to become your disciple. Be imitators of Christ, fully submitted to you and obedient to you. One day that we will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. May we always be proclaiming your glory to the rest of creation. Praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.